and we're back in here with another episode of Peter's Proffer. Today, we start a, a couple part series dealing with some entrepreneurs, and today we have a restaurateur who owns Flamestone American Grill uh, in Oldsmar Trinity, multiple locations. He's owned some other restaurants in his past. He's going to talk about what it takes to start a restaurant, what it takes to be successful in the restaurant business, how many failures he kind of had to go through before making a successful restaurant go and go and go. He's got some new ventures coming up we're going to talk about. We're going to get into the mind of this entrepreneur and see what he went through to get where he is today. So it's going to be a cool conversation. Thanks, everybody, for listening in. If you guys have any questions or any topics you want us to hit, you can always find us on social media at Tragos Law. Today we've got a good friend of mine, Nick Pappas. Nick, um, and I've known his family for a long time, It is a, obviously a restaurateur and an entrepreneur, frankly. Um, the most interesting part about Nick, and I hope that we'll kind of get into his psyche here on this program, is that Nick grew up in a restaurant family. We're all Greek, so you know, being in the restaurant business is nothing new to uh, us as a, as a culture. But Nick's parents, I think, at one point figured out that they didn't want him to be in the restaurant business. They figured he would be much more suited to be a professional. Nick actually went to medical school and in medical school realized that medicine was not for him. In fact, he is an entrepreneur at heart. And I, I think, and we'll talk to you about it, Nick, uh, it was probably the best decision you ever made. But uh, everybody, Nick Pappas. Uh, thank you, guys. Thanks for being here with us, Nick. So... We're going to get into a lot of your background, um, including medical school, probably at some point. But why don't you tell us a little bit about your upbringing in the restaurant business and what kind of led you towards wanting to do that with your life? Sure, sure. So my father, I mean, ever since I can remember, he's been in the restaurant business. You know, he uh, typical American story where he came to uh, this country with nothing in his pocket and started to busboy at a restaurant in New York. And he kind of grew up in the business and kept, um, you know, going to the next level and eventually become a general manager. And when he moved to Florida, he decided to open up his first restaurant in 1974. I was one years old. So, I mean, growing up in the restaurant business, my father uh, would always have us work. I mean, we would work summers and after school. But he, he would always tell me, you know, do what you want to do. And if you don't want to do the restaurant business when you grow up, you don't have to. Um, but, you know, he definitely made us work the business, so we kind of learned it and everything else, which was great. I mean, I learned... I learned about the you know hard work and a good work ethic uh, doing that growing up. Yeah, child labor um, laws do not apply to Greek children. So that's something that's something we all learned at a very young age as Greek children. So uh, in medical school, when did it kind of change for you? When did you know you wanted to take a different route with your profession? Well, so kind of in school, I mean, when I got to college, I really started to get into the, the medical field and I started to enjoy it a little bit. And I did that for five years undergrad. I studied you know, pre-med and all that good stuff got accepted to a medical school, so I ended up going um, for one full year, and it was probably one of the best years of my life in terms of I, I really gained tons of self-confidence. I learned that I could accomplish anything, but I also learned that I just truly didn't love the business. I mean, love the, the, the medical industry. I mean, I liked it a lot, but at that point, I realized I didn't love it. So I just said, I, I feel like I always had that business bug. I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I had a good friend tell me um, one day, he's like, when you go to uh, Barnes & Noble, what magazines are you gravitated towards? Huh. 
you know, that's your passion, that's your fun, and that's yeah. what you should pursue. And it's true, because when I always used to go, I always used to pull all the Business Week and, you know, all the business magazines and would just love reading them. So after I decided medical school wasn't for me, I then went and, and uh, did a couple years at the University of Miami, got my master's degree in business, and that ended up being one of the best decisions I ever made. So what was your first uh, post-education job in the uh, restaurant world after working for your dad? What's the first time you kind of started out on your own trying to build a restaurant? Well, it, it's kind of funny because it, it, was, kind of, it was with my father. So after I got okay. my master's degree, I kind of was thinking I wanted to do something in the tech field. I wasn't exactly sure. And I said, well, let me just help my father a little bit and, and work in the restaurants while I you know, was trying to figure things out. And ended up, we started to work well together, and, and the restaurant started to get, you know, successful. And we just said, well, let's go for it, and let's just try and expand this thing and move forward. So, it, and the restaurant business is funny. When it, when it kind of grabs, I kind of grabbed you. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna explain it. But once it grabs you by hand, it's hard to let go. I mean, once it's in your blood, you're in it, and, and that's kind of what I got. You know, and now I'm, I'm, I'm in it. I love it. Okay, so what what are some of the ventures you guys took on? Did you did you start just one restaurant? Did you start a chain? How did you kind of go about when you want to start a restaurant? What's the first thing you do? So uh, that's a tough question. So <laughs> I mean, we we've opened up a whole bunch of restaurants now. Again, this is since about two thousand when I got involved. Um, we've had some hits and we've had some misses. Um, you know, I, I've learned a lot from every every miss we've ever had. Um, you know, my father he's been in everything. He's was one of the original founders of Checkers. Um, he's owned some Cody's Original Roadhouses. He had a, a couple Pappas restaurants of his own concept. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of done a couple of different things. It was good because I learned the corporate world when I was dealing with Checkers and, and Cody's a little bit. And then we've done our own independent thing. And they all have their benefits and they all have their, their pluses and minuses. But it's been a good experience for me. What do you think were some of the differences between your successful uh, restaurants versus some of your unsuccessful restaurants? You know what? It, nowadays, to be in the restaurant business, it's, it's a very difficult and, and you know competitive industry. You definitely have to have the full package in order to become successful. It's you know you see so many restaurants like I always think of downtown St. Pete where there's amazing food and they have these great chefs, but they just don't make it. They turn over so quick, and maybe that's because of location. I mean, you have to have a full experience. There's so much competition out there now. You have to have. You have to have great decor. You have to have great food. You have to have great location. And if one of those things is off, it really, you know, it's, it spells for disaster. It's not a, it's tough. It's tough out there right now. Yeah. Hey, Nick, let me ask you, and I'm sure you, you probably know their statistics. What's the failure rate amongst uh, amongst restaurants? Because I'll tell you, there's been a couple of restaurants here in downtown Clearwater where our office is, where you see this, you know, huge build-out happens. They open the restaurant, and, and not even 60 days later, the place is shut down and they're out of business. So, do you know what those numbers look like? You know, I, I read somewhere once in one of the restaurant magazines that it's upward of 65% wow. of a failure, you know, in the first two years when you open up a new restaurant. And you can see that. I mean, how many times do you see a restaurant and it closes and then someone else takes it over and they think that they can just put a new name and put a new coat of yeah. paint on it or something and think it's going to work? And unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. You really have to, if you are going to take a restaurant, you have to completely gut it and start off new new concept, new everything uh, to give that full experience. But um, like I said, we've, we've had some misses. I mean, we, we, we opened a restaurant in Trinity called Trinity Grill maybe about six, seven years ago. And um, it was just like a nice family-style restaurant, 250 seats. And it ended up 
I think Trinity was a great location, but we were off the beaten path. We didn't hmm. pick the best spot in Trinity. And we were fortunate with selling it, um, and we got our money out of it. And, and uh, But that happens. I mean, it's part of it. You just got to be kind of ready for that. So we talked a little bit about location being a, a hurdle that you have to deal with. What are some of the other hurdles you have to deal with when starting a restaurant? How do you build up the capital? How do you you know pick what staff you're going to need? How big of a restaurant, 250 seats versus a smaller restaurant? How do you kind of go through those things? Yeah, great questions. Um, I mean, there's a lot into going into picking the right the right location. You obviously have to make sure rent is is, a, is you know in a good spot. The biggest expense for restaurants right now, more than food, is labor. Labor is definitely the biggest problem. Um, it, it's hard to find good people. When you do, you got to try and hold on to them. And those chains that you know they're paying, they're giving great benefits now. So trying to compete with them is difficult. Um, so chains. Definitely, uh, you know, hold the fort when it comes to labor. And in terms of getting financing, it's extremely difficult. Banks are almost, almost 100% no. I mean, literally 100% no. They don't want to touch a restaurant unless you have a good relationship with them. So sometimes you have to self-finance or, you know, finance through friends and family. Or, again, if you have that good relationship with the bank, um, you know, they'll, they'll want to hold collateral on, on brand new equipment and things like that. So that's probably one of your best bets, but it's not to get financing, definitely not. Um, restaurant size, it used to be where the larger restaurants were the trendy thing to be 10 years ago. So why do you think that changed? Why do you think it's not trendy as much to have a 350-seat restaurant anymore? I just think there's so many different restaurants out there. I mean, you know, at every corner there's three, four restaurants. At the larger restaurants, they couldn't they couldn't handle the cost and the expenses of, of you know, trying to house a, a large restaurant. The labor is extremely high. Your rent is extremely high. makes things more difficult. So a lot of restaurants are shooting for the 200, 200 seat, uh, seat spot right now. I know all the Outbacks and Bonefishes, they used to be 300, and they've, they've pared down to 200 to 250 seats now. Nick, let me ask you. You've got a new project coming up here, uh, the Beachwood Seafood Kitchen and Bar, right? Yes. And that's going to be an Oldsmar. If you don't mind, I'd like to kind of use that as a model because kind of walk us through what is involved in, I guess, waking up one morning and deciding you want to open a new restaurant concept. Like, how does it go? Well, you know, normally we leave at least, try and leave at least a couple of years in between restaurants. As uh, there's, you know, no matter what you do and how much you prepare, there's always going to be major hurdles at the beginning. It's, it's not easy. It's, it's very capital intensive. Um, you know, you don't take into account that you're going to have to have $100,000 in inventory, uh, you know, usually in food and liquor right at the beginning. You're going to have a couple of payrolls. You're going to have to pay for training without having any income come in. But for us, so we opened up the, the second Flamestone about a year ago. And uh, across from Flamestone and Oldsmar, there's been a restaurant that's done really well for years, beautiful restaurant. And um, I guess from bad management, they ended up closing down. And so when the opportunity arose, we had to make the decision, do we want to, you know, take on another project so quickly after just opening up the last one a year ago? And it's a tough decision because, again, going back to some of our failures, we've done a couple restaurants at the same time, and we almost lost both of them. We had to really work hard to get them back because we were spread so thin. Um, you really have to be there. So we decided to move forward with this this location just because we think it's a great opportunity and it kind of blocks a little bit the competition from you know a right. big beautiful chain like a bonefish coming and taking that spot over uh, and competing with our current flamestone 
So, you know, we have a couple concepts we've had in mind, and we have a fast casual concept in mind. We've had a seafood concept in mind. And so when this uh, opportunity came up, we said, well, let's go for it and let's, you know, go for the seafood concept. Uh, we, we do have a good rapport with our bank, although it's not easy still because it's a restaurant. So we were fortunate enough to get some financing for that. Um, when we look for a new restaurant, I mean, the first thing you look at is the, the obviously make sure it's the size and the space that you like and the location. But you definitely got to check out the equipment. I mean, that can make or break you, you, you know. If you're opening up a brand new restaurant with no equipment, you're going to spend at least at least two three hundred thousand dollars just on kitchen equipment. So you got to be really on top of that. This location had almost all brand new kitchen equipment in there, so we thought that was a great deal. Do you went forward with it? So do you usually? What has your model been? That's where that's been more successful. Has it been? building a restaurant from the ground up, buying an already existing space? Have you done it both ways, and do you find one works better than the other? You know, we've done it both ways, and they both have their pluses and minuses. As much as we'd love to build a restaurant from the ground up and, you know, customize it exactly the way you want it and the way you know it's going to run well, uh, it's hard to do that. It's, it's very expensive to do that. There's impact fees. You know, that's why you don't see a lot of people... Uh, opening restaurants where there wasn't a restaurant there before. You know, they don't take uh, take over a bank spot and make it a restaurant. Yeah. It's usually just a right. restaurant into another restaurant. Right. Because there's grease traps underground. There's act fees the city charges you for that are really expensive if, you, if, if it's never been a restaurant. So there's a lot of factors that go into it. Uh, and then there's even liquor license zoning. You know, you can't be a certain um, a distance from a school and things like that. So... Uh, typically, it's easier to take over an existing restaurant and make it your own, but then that poses challenges too. You know, then uh, you know. A Sometimes you got to deal with other people's mistakes. States, maybe we need more room for grills, and they didn't have that type right. of thing there. So it definitely makes it more challenging, and it's just like taking over a used car. I mean, there's more problems with a used car. The air conditioning units don't always run great. Right. So you know, there's positives and negatives to both, but we typically try and find a So what what are some of the concepts going into the the Beachwood seafood restaurant that you're doing? I know with Flamestone, at least for me personally, everything's good, but my favorite is the tableside guac. I don't even like guacamole that much, but whenever I go there, I, I can literally just eat buckets of that whenever I get it made specially to my order because I have to sometimes get separate because I like it spicier than my wife. Understood. But... I mean that that's amazing. I, I, I did you guys know that that was going to be something that was going to be such a big draw to the restaurant? Did it just sort of happen? How do you come up with concepts like that that really differentiate just another you know flamestone grill? Is is how do you differentiate it from Grillsmith, from Outback, from whatever? I mean, obviously it's not a, a chain restaurant like an Outback where there's a million of them that are all the same. It's more of a a different kind of vibe. But how how do you come up with concepts like that that are gonna make it stand out, make people come back? Do you have any ideas with the uh, the Beachwood that you're gonna do something like that? Yeah, a great question. I mean, for Flamestone, we kind of had the concept in mind. I had the menu in mind. And a couple weeks before we opened, we had heard about this tableside guacamole. Now you see a lot of places have it, but back then, 11 years ago, it wasn't really popular at all. And we heard about a restaurant in New York um, that was doing it. And so we literally flew to New York two weeks before we opened, and we just fell in love with the, the, the whole concept of it. Mm-hmm. And it kind of fit into our concept where, you know, typically, and I think that's what's helped us with Flamestone, and you get tableside guacamole, you have to go to a Mexican restaurant. Right. People don't know what they want to have you know, Mexican food for dinner, but they want guacamole. So 
being a Midwest American grill, we still feel like tableside guacamole fit perfectly, and we love the idea of doing it. And I'm so glad we did because it's it's now the mainstay of yeah. our flame. Yeah, I mean it's the best. So what what about Beachwood? What are you, what are you guys thinking for that? Do you have any cool concepts for that that you guys are planning on putting in? Are you still yeah, looking so exactly in doing some to research? That, that point, you know, we always try and when we come up with our menus, we make sure we have a good viable menu that we can work and we can. Uh, produce on a nightly basis but then we also look for i guess i hate to call them a few home runs but that's kind of what we do we want to have like three or four items on the menu that are absolute just blow you away wow you know whether it's table side like you said or at flamestone we also have our campfire s'mores that we bring to the table so we have a couple things like that planned for beachwood uh we're definitely going to be doing sushi we're going to do, be doing some beautiful sushi towers and some awesome. really unique things with some sushi. We have a couple of fun, fun things planned for Beachwood. I think it's going to be good. That's hilarious because literally the last time me and my wife went there, we had like an hour before a movie and we got the tableside guac and the uh, the uh, s'mores that you were talking about. So we must fit like right into the dynamic you guys are going after. But um, so Pete, what were you going to well, say? Yeah, I've got a question. One of the, I guess, the great parts about being uh, a friend of yours, Nick, is that when every time you guys open a restaurant, you do the what I call the soft open, the tasting. And not only do I love being part of that, but it, I'd like for you to talk uh, to our listeners about that because I think it's really neat to, to see how before you open the restaurant to the public, you actually bring in friends and family, sit everybody down, do a full course uh, meal, actually do a full meal service just to see how the restaurant's running. And then you guys take the comments, and, and I know that you actually implement those. How does that work between you and you know whatever chef you're partnering with? Yeah, another great question. It's it's funny because most businesses, you're getting ready to open. What you're trying to do is just blast it all over the place and get the word out. The restaurant business, or at least what we do, it's kind of the opposite. You really don't want to get the word at the beginning. You want to do a nice, quiet, soft opening because, no, like I said before, no matter how much you prepare, you're going to get blasted at the beginning. and You're going to have major issues. I mean, really major issues, and it can make or break the restaurant. If, if you have a really bad opening... I mean, you're going to suffer for months and months. And most people are a little forgiving because you're new, but some people aren't. And, um, yeah, so that's always a challenge. So what we like to do is we call it a soft opening. We don't really spread the word. We don't do our advertising. We get any of our VIPs from our current restaurants and our friends and family that we know we can trust and will give us honest feedback. And we bring them in, and we literally try and get things on that menu and, and try and hit our pretty hard that night uh, and the feedback is huge from us I mean we'll we'll get feedback and, the, and the, after that day so after our first soft opening day those next two days are probably the most hectic days you know between the soft opening and our actual just opening for business because that's when we're looking at all those comments and saying okay do we need so we have to change this recipe do we need to do that and uh, those are really hectic days you know, over, you know overnight and all that good stuff. and then what we'll just do quietly open our doors on a Monday and just unlock the doors and, and let the business start to come in. So Nick, what do you think about things like, and I just know from experience with Flamestone from, from our, you know, firm's experience, how we've had events there, sponsored dinners there for judges like Judge Caminos when she was running for judge. How do you build in having a private room type type of situation? Because not every restaurant does, obviously, but when you're thinking about space, do you think do you take that into consideration as income generation, but also just building goodwill in the community, having the ability to do that in the community when you have a restaurant like yours? Yeah, definitely. We 
try and always have a, at least one or two product areas in our restaurants. It's not always easy to. And again, it's kind of the trend not to have the private areas. Right. I hate to always throw, you know, bring up bonefish or an outback, but if you call up bonefish and want 30 people, uh, uh, you know, on a Thursday night or something, they'll just tell you, no, I'm sorry, we don't do large parties. Right. Because large parties are difficult. I mean, you know, you're, you're reserving that table for two hours beforehand, so you can't feed anybody in all those tables. Lots of times, and it happens, people don't show up, they don't call, they made reservations at three different restaurants, and they just make their decision the last minute where to go. Um, so you'll have literally, you know, a 30-top table sitting there in the middle of the dining room on a Friday night that's just empty for three hours, and it really can hurt you. So in order to avoid that, we try and avoid large parties in the dining room, and we try and get, uh, you know, two, two, two different stuff. Uh, private rooms, a smaller one and a larger one. And like you said, it's great for community. It's great for events. Uh, we hold charity events and some of them, you know, and then obviously uh, you're able to take care of the guests when they want. So it works out well. Nick, give uh, our listeners, some of these young entrepreneurs starting out, give them some uh, some advice in the heart. What would you tell them if, uh, to young people starting their own ventures? In, in any business or just in the restaurant business? You know what? I'll let you make that call. Either way. <laughs> All right. Well, I, you know, I mean, there's definitely to be about business is the ups and downs, and it's you know it's a challenge all the time. You have to you have to know that there are going to be bad things happening, and you have to just be prepared and try and, and be on top of it. And um, it's it, I guess it's the best way to describe it. It's not easy. You know, I think entrepreneurship right now is so like glorified and. It's amazing being an entrepreneur. I mean, let's face it, we all love it. You can kind of create your own schedule, and there's a lot of benefits to it, but I think it's glorified that it's always amazing and Shark Tank and you make top money and blah, 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 whereas there's major, major challenges. I mean, people, you know, file for bankruptcy after close their doors, and so it's not always easy. You don't hear as many of those stories, though. What's that? You don't hear as many of those stories. You know, you always hear the success stories. That's what everybody wants to talk about. But in reality, you know, not everything's a home run. And sometimes you've got to fail a couple times before you get a successful restaurant going like you have now. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. You're definitely going to have some failures along the way. And if you look up the list of, of people that have filed for bankruptcy, you know, Disney, Hershey, Ford. Yeah. It's pretty amazing, these multi, multi-billionaire moguls. And they've, they've their lows off. So it's part of the game. All right. That being said, let's. Uh, I'm going to give you a chance to plug Beachwood Seafood Kitchen and Bar. What can we expect to see in Oldsmar, and when can we expect to see it? All right. Well, it's probably going to be a couple months away. We'll start to. Uh, you can check our Facebook page for updates. It's the Beachwood Seafood Kitchen and Bar. It's going to be a fun restaurant, a great outside patio, um, a lot of sushi, a lot of seafood, and some great steaks and pasta. And, uh, and definitely keep an eye out for it. It'll be open in a couple of months. Awesome, Nick. Thanks so much. I can't wait to to check it out. Thanks for uh, coming on the show today. Thank you both. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, guys. I I always love talking to entrepreneurs because real ones, I mean, he is as successful as they get in the restaurant business, but real ones, real entrepreneurs that go through this stuff have failures along the way sometime throughout their career, no matter what it is that they're doing. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, Peter, because your your family and mine, obviously, in the restaurant business, the joke that my parents used to make is... In the restaurant business, you work full-time, except for Christmas and New Year's, when you work half-day, 9 to 5. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely hard. I mean, the restaurant business is its own beast. So many Greeks do it, so we are more ingrained in it than normal people. But, 
a lot of sweat equity. You know, you make your own schedule, like you were saying, but in reality, it's every day. I mean, that that's every day that you got to stress about it. When you have more, even when you get, you know, to be a big shot, like now he's got more restaurants. So now he's working on Flamestone. He's working on Beach. I mean, he's working on all this stuff. You know, it's not like you're just working on one restaurant and then once it's successful, you just you know sit back and relax. It's always the next big thing with entrepreneurs, which is what keeps them driven. And that's the thing. I think when you see entrepreneurs that are very successful in their particular fields, you realize to them it's not work. They love this. So for him to get up at eight o'clock in the morning or seven o'clock in the morning and to do restaurant from seven in the morning until ten p.m. seven days a week isn't a job. It's it's just his passion. Yeah. So uh, thanks for listening in with us. We're going to have some more entrepreneurs on. So hopefully you guys enjoy listening to this um, type of dialogue. We're going to talk to different kind of companies that have come up in different ways, different ages uh, of people, different starts and finishes and, and toward the beginning of their career, toward the end of their career. So hopefully everybody enjoys listening in. If you guys have any comments, please subscribe and comment and rate the podcast. And as always, we'll be with you next time.